We're glad you're back, Herb. We're looking forward to good stuff. You're going to go to the bathroom? You want me to go to the bathroom? Okay, well, I'll wait for you, George. You go ahead. We'll just sit around. Well, how are you this year? Are you glad to be at camp meeting? Man, I am glad to be back at Adults 2 in Arizona. There are very few places on this planet that I feel like coming back to is like coming back home. But I just so, am so excited to be back here this year. And um, someone said, well, Herb, are you going to tell us anything new? Nope. <laughs> no, I'm still stuck on one tune. But um, I think it's the best tune on the planet. Amen. And uh, we're going we're gonna to look at some of those things this week. Um, tonight we're going to, is Marilyn here? Did Marilyn leave? Her? She just stepped out. Well, I won't say what I was going to say then. But uh, I'll save it for tomorrow night when she's listening. But uh, anyway, that was in re- reference to something she said in song service. But we'll wait for her. How's that? We're stalling for her and George anyway. Um, let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, tonight, Lord, I want to thank you for your love. And Father, as we take just a moment out of our busy lives this evening to stop and meditate on what's in your heart and on you, Father, may we be overwhelmed with not only how much we are loved by you, but Father, may we be moved to allow you to make us like you are. Father, bless us tonight for your sake. In your precious name we pray. Amen. As we start, how many have seen the new book? Anybody have a copy yet? Besides Carl. Carl has all the copies. Now, if you want a copy of this, see Carl. We are going to be building heavily on what is in this book. We're not going to be covering the material that's in this book, but we're going to be building on the material that's in here. So if you've not gotten a copy of this, see Carl and get yourself a copy. It's on in the audience. Tomorrow. Bunch of liberal Adventists selling books on Sabbath. Man. On Sunday. Oh, you're right. So tomorrow, yes. Slickster. Leave it to the theologian among us. On Sunday, the auditorium sale. How much? Well, it's cheaper than you could get it for from us. So get it at the... Wow, what a deal. The name of it's called Finding the Father. Finding the Father. Um, he's a good guy. Uh, me. But... Um, I know him personally. I've, I've actually, I've heard every sermon this guy's ever preached. Had to be at every one of them. At least I hope I was there. This evening, take your handouts. Anyone, everyone have a handout? Have we passed those out yet? No, we haven't even passed them out. All right, well, this is adults too. Welcome to the fly by the seat of your pants meetings. Uh, where are they? Anybody know where they're at? Mm, that box is no longer present on the front row. Oh, that's all right. That's all right. We'll be patient. Everybody say, thanks, Gary. Thanks, Gary. See, we're a family in here. Adds new definition to the family of God. Somebody found out I was speaking, came here, stole the outlines. Okay, no, there it is. That's right. 
<laughs> well, after we get done tonight, some of you may wish someone had stolen them. But we're going to be, and I just, just overheard, Gary, are you doing, what we're going to be talking about this evening is actually how we focus too much on having a personal relationship with Jesus now and not about getting um, ready for the second coming. Because we don't focus on the second coming enough. And so we're going to focus on that tonight. Is that okay? Yeah? No. How many were there for that part of the song? Sir? What's that? I wrote that article. Thank you for bringing it. No, I'm just kidding. No, I, I just found out. Gary, you're doing a series on John? John 3 and 4. John 3 and 4. Well, praise the Lord because my talks are on John 4, 5, 6, and 7. So, Wow. Just didn't want to repeat anything. I'm going to be here in the mornings. I hope you're going to be too. I'm really looking forward to what Gary has to say this year. Does everyone have a handout now? All right. What's that? Marilyn's here. Yeah, I just said it. I just did it. But she didn't give me the reaction I was looking for. So anyway, she said, fine. You know, Marilyn, great. Whatever you want. John chapter 4, probably one of my favorite stories in the book of John. Bear with me. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus was not baptizing, but his disciples were, what did he do? What does it say here he did? Now, I kind of scratch my head at this. I don't know if he was ministering in the same context that many people minister in today. But today, when, you're, when you've got the top baptisms in, in your conference, that's usually a good thing, isn't it? I mean, maybe you guys don't understand that because you're not standing on this side of the pulpit all the time. But if you're producing a lot of baptisms in our movement, that's usually, I mean, that's, nobody wants to say it this way, but that's the goal. Are you hearing me? And here, and here, Jesus was baptizing more than John the, the Baptist. Are you hearing me? He was, I mean, and, and, and all of a sudden it gets around what's happening. And what does Jesus do here? Something totally out of the box. What does he do? He closes up shop and moves. He cancels the series. He ends it early. And he moves to a different town. And that, I look at that and think, man, Jesus must have... Maybe been about something a little bit different. But then it says he left to Judea, left Judea and went away into where? And he had to pass through which town? Now that doesn't raise the same emotional response in this room that it would have back then. Samaritans. I love the way Jesus dealt sometimes with the Pharisees. I mean, how did the Jews feel towards Samaritans? He, they hated Samaritans. And why did they hate? And I love it. Every time Jesus tells a story, who's the good guy? Always. Who's the good guy? The Samaritans. Yeah, and who are the bad guys? The, yeah, the Levites and the Pharisees and the priests. Those are the bad guys. And the Samaritans are always the ones we want to be like. Can you imagine? I mean, Jesus had to be crazy. I mean, he wasn't. We know he wasn't, right? But, you know, I just wouldn't do that nowadays. I would not preach a sermon against conference presidents. I wouldn't do it. 
I mean, maybe I would if God called me to, but he hasn't, thank the good Lord. And notice what the Samaritans were. Were, What were they? The the modern-day equivalent of a Samaritan. Who would it be? Look over in the grace section of your notes for a second. Because I want us to kind of get our minds around whom Jesus is talking to here. This is from, where is it from? Easton's Bible Dictionary, okay? So this is an authoritative source. This isn't, isn't me just making this up. It says, it was a name given to the new and mixed inhabitants whom... That dude, the king of Assyria, brought from Babylon and other places and settled in the cities of Samaria instead of the original inhabitants who had been removed into captivity, yada, yada. It says, then these strangers, watch this, these strangers amalgamated with the Jews still remaining in the land. They gradually abandoned their old idolatry and adopted partly the Jewish religion. So what would their religion been composed of? Some truth, are you with me? It, would have, it, it was composed partly of the Jewish religion, but what did it still have deeply mixed in with it? Idolatry. Interesting. So you're telling me that it, their way of worshiping God, their God, was a hybrid of biblical truth and paganism. Is that right? It goes on. It says, after their turn from captivity, the Jews in Jerusalem, this is wild, they refused to allow them to take part with them in the rebuilding of the temple. This is common knowledge. And it says, and hence sprang up an open enmity between them. Now, why did they refuse to let them participate in rebuilding the temple, being a part of God's work? Why did they refuse them that? This strikes a little close to home for us. Why did they refuse them that? Because they worshipped God on Sunday. Now I'm interjecting that. But isn't that an interesting point? There was still idolatry mixed in with their worship of the Jewish God. And it wasn't a matter of days back then. Watch what it says. They erected a river temple, which was destroyed by a Jewish king. And then they rebuilt another one at Shechem. And the imagery of the Jews and Samaritans continued in the time of our Lord. And the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. It's interesting to me. Now, I'm not accusing. I know all of us are different here. I'm not accusing anyone of anything tonight. But I'm suggesting that sometimes the way that the Jews viewed Samaritans is many times the way we view some of our brothers and sisters in Jesus who go to church on a different day than we do. Are you hearing me tonight? Now, it wasn't an issue of a different time. It was an issue of a different location, one mountain versus another mountain. Are you hearing me? And yes, did the Samaritans worship of God, did it have a lot of paganism or idolatry mixed in with it? Yes, and does modern traditional Christianity have a lot of paganism mixed in with it? Now, am I saying they're not Christians? No, because there are Christians and other denominations that are better Christians than I will probably ever be. Are you hearing me say that tonight? So I don't want to be viewed tonight as saying something. I'm not picking on them and saying they're Samaritans. I'm saying, look at us. Sometimes we view them as being second-class Christians. Because we have the 
truth. Now just hold that in your mind, that context, as we read through the story of Jesus with this Samaritan woman and look, try to see if you can't understand the dynamic that's about to take place in this dialogue. So he came to the city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of the ground that Jacob had given to his son, and Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There came a, what does it say? A woman of, this is two, I'm sorry ladies, this is two strikes against her. Number one, she was a Samaritan. Number two, she was a woman. And they hadn't clued in back then yet, had they? It said, I was raised by a single mom. And she drilled into my head a whole bunch of stuff, which we won't go into this evening. So I apologize to you, but this was a, Jesus was talking to a woman. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Now this is, this is fantastic. What, Jesus was here to get or to give. Give. I used to read this story and wonder, you know, if Jesus was all about here, it seems kind of self-centered of him here. It seems kind of selfish of him here. I'm thirsty. Woman, give me something to drink. That doesn't work in my house. <laughs> Woman, make me a sandwich. That would give me a permanent spot on the couch. And probably rightly so. But here he says, give me a drink. And, you know, why doesn't he offer her a drink? I mean, that's the more chivalrous, that's the more, you know, gentlemanly thing to do. You're here with this pot of water. Here, can I help you? Can I get you a drink? Can I, you know, that seems like the more gentleman-like thing to do, doesn't it? What is Jesus doing here? You talk to me tonight. This is going to be participatory. Is that okay? Remember, that might be what, never mind. We're going to have to talk out loud. What's Jesus doing here? He, maybe he's provoking conversation. What else could he be doing? Yeah, it's unusual. He's catching her off guard. What? Well, let's reason it out the other way. What would have happened if he would have showed up and said, Can I offer you a drink? What would she have said? <laughs> That's what she said in a minute, yes. Thanks, Vance. Leave it to Vance. It would have end, I propose it would have ended the conversation there, and Jesus would have had nothing to work with. Closed it down. But when he asks her for a drink, this is striking. She's a Samaritan? I mean, can you imagine an Adventist going to one of our Samaritan seminaries? Do you know what I mean by that? And asking for some help on a passage? Would that catch them off guard a little bit? Them knowing... I mean, I remember the three weeks I spent in Pakistan. Anybody ever been to Pakistan before? Anybody? Crazy place. Nobody here has ever been to Pakistan? Well, it's not somewhere I recommend unless God calls you. Matter of fact, I just came back from Canada about three weeks ago. And I got stuck in... My, my passport... I know this is all over the map. It'll make sense in just a minute. My passport is almost expired. Which means this year I get to renew it. And I can't wait. Because the moment I renew my passport, guess which disappears in the back of my passport? 
that visa from 10 years ago that says Pakistan on it. Every time I go through customs, we're fine sailing until they see that visa. What were you doing in Pakistan? Who did you stay with there? Who were you meeting? Who would you talk to? What was your discussion about? Well, while I was there, and I, I, I was coming back from Canada. I mean, come on now. All that separates you and me is a fence, buddy. Not really, but maybe one day. And I'm stuck in customs for an hour explaining questions. And they say, well, what do you do for a living? Um, oh, it's religious, is it? <laughs> Where do you go to church? I'm an Adventist. Oh. It's just it's one big deep hole when every question leads us in deeper. Well, I was in Pakistan. The point of the story, the tangent. At the end of those three weeks, at night I was speaking to the adults, but in the afternoons I had about 250 pastors of all different denominations there. And at the end of it he said, I almost didn't come to these meetings because I heard you were an Adventist. And I said, well, what does that mean? A little Pentecostal guy, he said, well, over here it means you don't drink tea and you don't hang out with other Christians. I mean, because they're, sorry, Babylon. Are you hearing me? And I'm not putting any of that down. I'm just telling you where we're at. I'm just stating the facts. I'm not saying whether that's right or wrong. Are you hearing me tonight? That's just how we view them. They are the daughters of Babylon, those Sunday worshipers. And, and, you know, we've got the truth. And would it catch them off guard if we went to them asking for some theological insight? Asking for some water, so to speak. I mean, here this woman is totally, she's, she's, she's totally caught up. Not only is it a man speaking to her, but it's a Jewish man speaking to her. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman says, how is it that you being a Jew asks me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan? What? Did his tactic work? Was she in shock? Yeah. Yeah. For the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you what? Living water. Now I know that we have a health message. How many know that? How many picked up on that? Anybody here an Adventist? We have a lot to say about health, do we not? And I remember in my younger years reading through, how many have ever read cover to cover Councils on Diets and Foods? How many have ever read that book? Anybody ever read it? <laughs> did you hear that over there? I don't know who did that, but I heard it. <sighs> I remember reading the two sentences about sourdough bread. How many remember that? Anybody remember it? Sourdough bread is not... Anybody here from San Francisco? Anybody here from San Francisco? I'm sorry. Well, recently I have picked up a hobby. And you can evaluate this whether I'm backslidden and apostatizing or not. But I have picked up a hobby because the science of it, I think, is just wild. My wife thinks I'm crazy, okay? I took one of her glass dishes the last time it rained, and I went out and I collected some rainwater. Anyone else done this before? You know where I'm headed? 
I took some rainwater from those fresh polluted skies of West Virginia and I brought it inside and I poured it through a coffee filter and guess what I added to it? Some of you don't know where I'm going. No, I didn't add yeast. No, 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 no. Some of you don't know the history of sourdough. All I added was flour. I'm telling you, five hours later, that sucker was alive. It was just rainwater and flour. And this thing started bubbling, because that's how they made bread before they invented commercial yeast, right? They, how many know the history of sourdough bread? I know you shouldn't eat it. I know it's not healthy. I'm not recommending you go eat sourdough. I'm just saying, it's some, I mean, I looked at this bowl and I thought, that's some living water. It's bubbling and it's springing forth. And if I added some more flour to it, what would it make? It would make bread. And it, all it is is rainwater. Because what's in the rainwater? Naturally occurring, floating through the air. What is it? Yeast. That's right, yeast. Yes. Some of you, so the rest of you are lost. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about right now. So that's a new hobby of mine. I met a guy, I'm not making sourdough bread, I just met a guy who, who has a starter, you know what a starter is, rainwater and flour, that's all it is. He has a starter that's over 100 years old. I think God made it when he was a kid, I don't know, but it's just, it's, it's an old, old angel starter, you can pass them down to you. But that's, well, I was amazed, this stuff takes off and it bubbles and it's, it's living water. And Jesus uses the same kind of language, he's not selling sourdough bread, honestly. But it says, if you knew the gift of God, you would say, give him a drink, and he would have given you what kind of water? That's what I want to discuss tonight. What is this living water? What is it that Jesus was offering her? Any ideas so far? Those of you who have read this story before, talk to me. What could this living water be? There's no right or wrong answer. Could be the Holy Spirit. Someone write that down. Who wants to be the secretary tonight? Anyone? Oh, come on now. This is, if you don't want to, if you just want to sit there and do nothing, go over there. No, I didn't mean it like that. I just meant you can be a spectator over there. You come over here, you're going to be involved. Thank you. One answer is the Holy Spirit. What else could the living water be? Eternal life. Okay, write that down. What else? Love. There's another one. Love. God's word, someone said. Any other ideas? Himself. That's kind of neat. Okay. Himself. Any other ideas? Grace. I like that. I like that. Freedom. You guys are thinkers. Salvation. Self-respect. Peace. Boy, I like you guys a lot. These are non-textbook answers. You realize that, right? You guys are coming up with this out of your own headspace. And it's good stuff. What's that? A new way of thinking? Yeah, maybe. Could be immortality. Well, let's take the, we said eternal life and immortality. Let's take those and at least eliminate those first, shall we? Because those are easy ones. It says, uh, he, he says, you have uh, asked, sorry, living water. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Now, when he said living water, I love this about Jesus. Jesus, he had a sense of humor. Sometimes we don't catch this. But he messes with people. Have you noticed that? He said to the Pharisees, beware... Or no, he said to the disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And you know what the disciples said next? 
They looked at each other and said, are they making bread now? Go back and read it. She says, I he said to her, I would have given you living water. And what is she thinking? Living water. You don't have anything to draw with. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us this well and drank from it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. Hint number one, whoever drinks of the water that I will give shall never what? Now, obviously, we all know elementary. This isn't talking about physical thirst, right? When he says he'll ne you'll never thirst again, what is he talking about? What kind of thirst is he referring to? Spiritual? Fill in the hole in the donut. How many have ever heard the, the, the statement that each one of us has a God-shaped hole? How many have ever heard that presentation from someone before? That's a famous sermon that's going around YouTube right now. God-shaped hole. I, I think God has a U-shaped hole. And we'll talk about that later. But, um, but what is this thirst? There is something in the heart of every human being that no matter how much we have, we always want what? More. And some people call this greed. Some people call it dissatisfaction. C.S. Lewis, how many ever heard of that guy? He looked at this thirst inside of every human soul and he came to the conclusion. He said, it's reported that he said, if I find in myself longings for which nothing on this earth can satisfy. Nothing in this world can satisfy. He said the only logical explanation is that I was made for a different world. How many would agree with him tonight? What is this thirst that Jesus is... So number one, this living water would have so satisfied this thirst within her that that would have no longer been her driving motive. In other words, she would not be now acting, serving God or worshiping in order to get filled. But she would do things now because she was filled. That's a different, no longer to get, but out of something totally, a totally different motive. And that's what it says. Watch this. It says, I will give him, he shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him or her, because, you know, they were still figuring it out back then, in them a well of water springing up into what eternal life so number one let's go back to our original list this isn't immortality or eternal life because this springs up into eternal life are you with me in other words it springs up for how long forever it's unstoppable it just it's immortal it springs up inside of them. Not only does it satisfy you and everything you've always ever wanted, not only is your heart so fed by this, that it actually springs up and you become a conduit, a channel through which others now also come in contact with this deeply soul-quenching substance. Now, keep all this in your mind because these are all clues to the puzzle. The woman said to her, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty 
nor come all the way here to draw. And he said to her, I love this, go call your what? Yeah, it just got serious. It could. What, now what is he up to? Go get your husband. She evades it. She says, um, I, I, I'm not married. I, I don't have a husband. And, and I think Jesus was smart enough to read from her body language to drop it. How many think that would have been possible? I mean, I'm stupid. Are you hearing me? And if I were talking to someone about their marriage status and I saw body language change, I'm stupid. And I know not to pursue that topic any further. But Jesus, I mean, I'm sitting on a plane. I say, are you married? And they say, no. And you can tell. Oh, that's not a topic we want to talk about. Switch the subject. Jesus moves forward in it. He says, you have said correctly, I have no husband. For you have had what? Five husbands, and the one whom you now have is what? Not your, the, not your husband. You have said truly. What blows me away is she gets excited about it. How many, I mean, really? Totally different response than what someone would have had with me. If someone were to show up at one of my meetings that I was conducting from the community, and, and once in a while we do do meetings. Anybody ever had me come to your church and do meetings for the community? We get people from not from the church come. Yeah, we, once in a while I do those. Not often anymore, but once in a while I do those. And, and, and if someone from the community were to show up and, and I was to meet them, and upon first introduction, say, listen, lady. So I hear you've been married like five times. And, and nowadays, you're, you just give up on marriage. Now you're just living in sin. Do you think that dear sister would be back the next night to hear what I had to say on the state of the dead? And the last thing she would... Anybody have someone in your life that no matter how good a job you do, they always point out what you did wrong? Anybody have someone like that in your life? What, I know you have a Christian reputation to protect this evening, but can you tell me, how do you feel? Not think, don't think for a second. I know what the right answer is, but how do you feel towards people like that in your life? Be honest. You don't want to be around them. And let me, tell, let me ask you this. At the very least, are they people you want to introduce your other friends to? This woman gets so excited that Jesus is talking about her current living status and how many times she's been married. That she runs off to the village. And what is her evangelistic message? Come meet a man who told me everything bad is I'm interjecting that word that I've ever come meet a man who, who brought who told me I've been married five times and, and I'm just living in sin right now. Come meet this guy. Either she's nuts, or Jesus did evangelism a little differently than we did. He didn't even wait to make friends with her before he talked about it. What is going on here? We'll come back to that. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. One last ditch effort to change the subject. 
Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. You say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought, ought. You people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought, ought to worship. What would a modern day equivalent of that be? For a hit, for thousands of years, no, hundreds of years, or maybe thousands now. No, hundreds. For hundreds of years, our forefathers have gone to church on Sunday. Yet you people say we should be going to church on Saturday. Wouldn't that be the modern equivalent? Jesus said to her, woman, believe me. And this is wild. Woman, believe me. An hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Well, what is Jesus virtually saying to her right now? What would the modern day equivalent of that be? If you're only focused on the difference between two 24-hour periods, you're missing the point. And some say, well, Herb, does that mean the Sabbath is not important? No, I'm not saying that. But does the devil believe that Saturday is the Sabbath? Oh, good. Well, he could be an Adventist. Did the Jews go to church on Saturday? And yet they crucified whom? I'm not saying that the Sabbath is not important. Please don't misunderstand me this evening. What I'm saying is that we pride ourselves on having a few things figured out when there may be some bigger fish to fry that we have yet to figure out. There was a third option, Jesus is saying. It's not about this mountain or that mountain. There's something you're missing. He said, you worship what you do not know. Yes, we worship what we know for salvation is from the... I mean, he was still affirmative of his Jewish background, was he not? He didn't put him down. And after all, we do have a lot of truth, do we not? I mean, the Saturday is the biblical day, am I right? That is the truth. But watch what Jesus says. He turns it on his head and he says, An hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in and in. Hmm. Hmm. The Pharisees were experts on the finest details of the law, were they not? And yet they were ignorant, grossly ignorant of the spirit that was at the core of that law, were they not? I mean, here come, we're going to talk more about this this week, but have you noticed the law? I mean, we're right when it comes to the fourth commandment. How many agree with me tonight? We're right. We're right. I'm not saying how we always relate to people different from us is right, but we are on that one point right. But here God comes down, and I don't know, I don't know, some of you have probably thought this through. I can't be the only one, but God comes down. He warns people three days in advance to back up. How many remember watching the CNN footage of when shock and awe? And I, I, how many remember watching that over in Iraq? How many remember when we bombed the bejuzes out of those guys? And how many remember watching that footage? Did you just sit there and go, wow? And there was the complaints that there was a lot of innocent people that might have been hurt in that. 
Well, here comes God. He wants shock and awe on Mount Sinai. And I have a hunch that what he did on Mount Sinai was nothing compared to what we did in Iraq. But the difference was three days ahead of time, what did, G, what did God do to make sure nobody got hurt in the process? What did he do? He said even set up boundaries in order to back everybody up. I don't want anybody getting hurt. It's like when you're fixing something. Anybody ever been fixing something at their house and you look at one of your kids and say, back up a minute? Because you know that that bolt could really... You know what I'm talking about? He sees he sends everybody back, and then he blasts this, the, the top, literally, off of this mountain. Do you think he got everyone's attention? Everybody is riveted. Everybody's quaking. Their knees are having fellowship dinner with one another, and they're riveted on what he's about to say. And here comes God himself about to speak with his own voice. And what does God virtually say? The most important thing in the universe is to him. He gives us, and you can... You can Define them into ten rules as much as you want. But virtually, when it came down to it, God gets our attention. He speaks with his own voice one of the few times in human history. And he's about to tell us what's really important to him. And what does he say? What does he say is the most important thing to him? Talk to me. If you were to boil, boil every one of those ten commandments down to one, one word, regardless of the object of that word, what would it be? What's the most important thing to God? How we treat others. Whether it be God in the first four or our fellow man in the last six. How we treat others. Now, we're the Pharisees experts on which day the fourth commandment was referring to. But were they largely, grossly ignorant of the spirit of what those commandments were all about? Jesus said there's coming a day we'll worship God in spirit and truth. How many would like to be a part of an Adventist church who, well, let me finish. Yes, amen. I mean, yes. If you're not and you do want to be a part of one, come see me. I'll tell you the quickest way to do it. An Adventist church that not only has the truth, but you walk into those environments and you immediately are overwhelmed with not just the truth, but the spirit of that truth as well. How many would like to be a part of a church like that? Where it's not just about what you believe, but how you treat people, even the people who don't believe the way you do. How many would like to be a part of a movement like that? That's really what it's about. It's not about who's right or wrong. Are you hearing me? That's part of it. Because Jesus did say salvation is of the... I mean, Jesus was going to come through the lineage of the... And did they have the, the, the truth given to them by God? Did they have the truth? Yes, but was that enough for Jesus? No. Even Jesus said there's coming a day when the worshipers of God will worship not just with truth, but also in the very spirit that embodies that truth. You know, I have a pastor friend at home. He's, he's a non-denominational pastor. And I, didn't, I wasn't raised in Adventist. Some of you know my history. Some of you know my story. But one thing that blows me away, every time I meet this guy, every time I meet his wife, I mean, I've been hanging out with them. They were probably, he baptized me when I was eight years old, I think. I mean, we were 
nothing growing up. We, well, I shouldn't say nothing. We've been everything growing up. Some of you raised in a home like that? The only thing we weren't was Jehovah's Witness or Mormon, but we thought we'd try Adventism first out of the three, and we just stayed there. You'll get it later. <laughs> That's the kid. Never mind. <clears throat> Bad joke. But we're still friends, he and I, and we hang out some. We have, there's a group of us pastors in my town. I'm not a pastor, but there's a group of us that when I'm in town, we have breakfast together every Thursday morning, and they look at me and wonder why I'm hanging out with them, and I wonder why they're still putting up with me. But we still, you know, have a good time together. But one thing that blows me away about this, husband, this pastor and his wife, every time I say goodbye to them, whether it's a short interchange or a long interchange, every time I say goodbye to them, they are purposeful in saying three words to me. Not God loves you. They'll say, I love you. They'll look me in the eye, and it's more than just a saying. They'll say, Herb, I love you. And you know, I know they go to church on Sunday. But I'm telling you, there is a part of my heart that longs, to be, that longs to belong to a group that not just has the truth, but has the spirit of the truth too. Amen? Are you hearing me tonight? I long to be a part of that. And the only way I know to be a part of that is to be that. Amen? Yeah. To be that. To stop looking at everyone else and wishing we were like that and realize that we can be. And where does it start? Right here, right now, in this room, 2010, adults too. It's about more than just having truth. Amen? Amen? An hour is coming and now is. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Do you catch them both together? I mean, because honestly, doesn't even the devil doctrinally agree with all of us? Doesn't he? The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming and he who is called, he who is called the Christ... When that one comes, he'll declare all things to us. He'll explain it. I don't need to worry about it. Day's coming. He'll make sense out of it. Jesus said to her, and this is wild, he did not say this to the Jews. He said this to a Samaritan. You understand what that would mean for us today? He did not shed this light to the Adventist. He told a Sunday worshiper. And that grates us, doesn't it? It grates us. Some of you are like, Herb, don't say that. Well, I'm telling you, that's why Jesus did this stuff. To make us take a double take and say, what have I missed? Does that mean we all need to be Sunday keepers and Sabbath is important? No, that's not what I'm saying here tonight. But we pride ourselves on stuff that Jesus took great pleasure in stirring us up about. Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. I'm the Christ. He wouldn't permit even demons to say that around the Jewish people. 
At this point, his disciples came. They were amazed to see he'd been speaking with a woman. Notice it doesn't say Samaritan. It says a what? A woman. They had issues. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to them. Now, she, that's, that detail's important. She left her what? How excited would she have to be to leave her water pot? Yeah, that would be like me forgetting my Bible. Do you catch that? Yeah, yeah. And we're going to get to that in just a second. It said, no, you're good, you're good, you're good. It says, come see a man. woman left her water pot and said to the man, come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. Now what's wild is he doesn't, she doesn't hear deliberate over, remember the spirit and the truth part, which is where we spent the majority of our time tonight. Where is her passion right now? As she's going out, she, yes, she, he just said she, he's the Christ. She, yes, she's, she, she heard all of that, but where, what, what sticks in her mind? About this interchange, what sticks in her mind the most right now? He told me about my five what? Husbands and about who I'm living with now. That's what sticks in her mind. Why? And if you back up, Jesus told her about the living water. And then she said, give me the water. And it almost looks like Jesus just takes an abrupt right turn and says, go get your husband. But could Jesus have been doing exactly what she asked? She said, give me this water. Well, in order for her to have it, we have to talk about something, lady, that's a little uncomfortable for you. Why? What is Jesus doing? Come meet a man that told me all the things that I've done. This is not the Christ, is it? And they went out of the city and they were coming to him. And from that city, men of the Samaritans, the Samaritans, do you catch that? Those who had paganism mixed in with their religion believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I've done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Would it be okay if I went and preached 10 days at a Sunday church? Would that be all right? I went and spent some time and ministered with them. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. We don't understand what that saying means. But what did they encounter Jesus as? What role? Messiah? Christ? Remember, the Messiah was coming to save who? The Jews from whom? But they encountered something in their interrelations with Jesus that said, no, this is the Savior of the world. That's deep insight that wasn't given to the Jews. But what was it all about? Because the, the answers to these questions pull back the veil and show us what that living water really is. Are you with me still tonight? I won't hold you much longer. Are you still here? Psalm 63, verse 1. O oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul, what does it say? Thirsts for you. My flesh it yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no what? What is that talking about? He's looking out on the venue of all that's being offered to him and he can't find anything to satisfy it. 
John 1.17, it says the law was given through what? Moses. Yes, right and wrong. This clear delineation came through whom? Was that light? Was that light? Was that truth? Yes. It was a certain level of light being revealed through Moses. It says, but grace and truth were realized through who? Jesus Christ. Grace and what? Both of them together. Grace and truth. And here, it's not talking about which day's the Sabbath or what happens when a person dies. When it says grace and truth, in the story of the woman at the well, what was the truth that she so desperately was seeking to hide? You know, we come to church every week. And we pride ourselves on being people of the... And I'm an Adventist. Are you hearing me tonight? You ever heard it takes one to know one? I know something about you because I am just like you. Are you hearing me? We pride ourselves on being people of the truth, but we show up to church every week, and what's the last thing we want people to know? The truth about me. Am I right? We put on our church face. You know what that means? We just yelled at our kids in the car. Kicked the dog on the, off the porch on the way to Sabbath school. Can't believe our wife left the house in such disarray. Why can't we prepare for Sabbath on Friday? Go through all this stuff. And then we show up to church. Happy Sabbath. Am I the only one who's noticed this? I'm just being honest tonight. Is that too honest? But we have the truth. That's right. What was it that got this woman so excited? Here was a man who knew the truth. Who knew the truth about her. Who knew, yeah, she had gone through five horrific divorces. How do we know they were horrific? Because she was lonely, but you could not pay her enough to get married again. Are you hearing me tonight? She wouldn't do it again. She had had it up to here with men. She wasn't going to get stuck again. And all the rest of the religious world would have looked at her and turned down their nose. And here was God himself. You've seen the bumper sticker. I'm not afraid of God. I'm afraid of his people. Anyone seen that bumper sticker yet? Here was God himself standing before this woman. And when he said, you've had five husbands, and the one you're married with now, the one you're living with now, you're not even married to. What was it that made this woman get so excited and run away, forget her water pot? And that was her evangelistic message. Could this be the Savior? Could this be the Christ? Could this be the Savior of the world? Come meet a man who told me everything bad I've ever done. We don't usually look at people who point out everything we've done wrong and get excited about them. What was so different about Jesus? I propose tonight 
that when Jesus was talking to her about how many times she'd been married, in the current state of her affair, no pun intended, what she saw in Jesus' eyes was the expression on his face didn't change. The tone in his voice did not falter. His opinion of her did not lessen. He knew the truth about her. And she sensed that it did not change how he thought about her or what was in his heart for her. People say love is blind. You know what I think? That is the stupidest thing in the world to say. I don't need a love that's blind. I need a love that sees everything there is to know about me. And yet loves me nonetheless in spite of it. Because in order for her to catch the living water, what did Jesus have to show her? Jesus had to show her her sin, did he not? You hide this from so many people. You're even trying to change the subject with me. You are so uncomfortable about this. You are running from this. Let's put it all on the table. Because only until you put it all on the table can you see how unconditional his love really is. Are you hearing me? Isn't that true? So what's the living water that, that once you get it, it satisfies your heart to the deepest level and it actually spills out of you in and it affects everyone you come in contact with? What is it? It's not a blind love. It's a love that knows everything there is to know about you. But it doesn't falter, change, or quiver one bit. It's a love that loves you irregardless of yourself. How many would like to taste that kind of love this week? How many would like that? What's it going to take? Well, you know, it's going to take hearing Jesus say you've been married five times. And you're going to want to change the subject some of these evenings. Are you hearing me? But why is he doing that? I think sometimes the reason Jesus points out our sin is not to make us grovel. He's not a priest. Are you hearing me? The reason Jesus points out our sin is so that we can see his much more abounding grace in spite of that sin. It's going to be uncomfortable. Some of there's, there's some things in some of our lives this week that we've been hiding. Some things that we've been running from. And I don't know who you are. And I don't know what you're dealing with. But I know you're here right now. And God says, you'll never, you'll never know the depth of my love for you until we're able to talk about this. Until you're able to put this on the table between you and me and both of us stare at it. We're never going to be able to move into the fullness of what I have for you in our relationship. And some say, Herb, are you just saying that it doesn't matter what we do, that it's okay with God? That he's just, Listen to me, my teenager and I just had a knockdown drag out before I came here. Anybody got a teenager? Preachers, teenagers, I'm convinced, are the worst and the best of people on this planet at the same time. My, I looked at my daughter and, oh man, I tell you, nobody, nobody can make me madder than my kids. Oh, 
And you know why? You know why she grates me sometimes so bad? And I love her to death. I love her guts. Do you realize what that means? When kids are upset, it's not enough to say, I hate you. They say, I hate your... That really means it, right? I mean, I love my daughter's guts. Do you get that? But there are days where I want to wring her neck. And I sat her down. And I said, Allie, her name's Alexis. I said, Allie. I said, yours and my relationship. I said, it's like a river. She said, I get where you're going with this. She's a smart Allie. The reason she grates me so bad is because she got it from me. Do you get it? I see me inside her. All of my stuff that I like to hide from everybody but Jesus. I came home last November. This is her. I came home last November, and I hadn't been home in months. I mean, a little bit each month, but I'd been on the road a lot last year. That was murder. But I come home, my 13-year-old daughter looks at my 16-year-old daughter and says, We have a dad? That's what she's like. Just to get me. Well, I said, I said, our relationship is like a river. And I said, listen. The next few years, we are moving into the teenage years. She says, yes, I know. I said, you know what that means? She said, yep, the rapids are coming. I said, it's like a river, and yes, we're coming up on some, some rough water here. There's some big rocks in this river. And there are going to be days where life is painful for you, and there are going to be days where life is painful for me, and you and I are not always going to get along, young lady. You're not going to like some of the things I do, and I'm definitely not going to like some of the things you do. I said, but I want you to know that I've been down this river a few times, and I know what the river is going to be like after the rapids. And then I am committed to you for the long haul. That no matter how rough the waters get over these next few years, I'm going to be here still when the waters calm again. And you and I got a long river ahead of us. So I'm willing to, to brave these rapids with you. You may not like me, and I may not like you some days. But at the end of it, there is nothing you can do in these next five years that's going to change how much I love you. And some people would say, well, Herb, you just gave her a license to go out and do whatever she wants now. But I wish you could have seen what happened in her heart that moment when the lights turned on and it dawned on her. What's your picture of God this evening? I think he's really up there. Bringing us to a point where he talks to us about the rapids. Where he brings us to a point where he talks about our marital past maybe. For one reason and one reason only. Not to make us feel bad. So that we can move deeper into how unconditional his love really is. And that's really the only thing that makes us rebellious teenagers. And you guys say, well, Herb, I'm not a teenager. I'm an, I'm an old guy now. No, we're all about a teenager with God, aren't we? We all act like it, don't we? Now go down and look, go to the youth department. Visit the youth department this week. Do it. 
and give you keen insight into how your relationship with God usually works. Romans 5, verse 20, American Standard Version says, Where sin abounded, you know it. What's it say? Grace did abound more what? Now, I'm going to get a little heretical with you for a minute, okay? I know the Revised English Bible has some theological issues in it. But look at how the translation reads this verse. Where sin was multiplied, grace, what does that say? Immeasurably, immeasurably exceeded it. Isn't that what that woman encountered that day? No matter what she'd done, no matter where she'd been, no matter what mistakes she'd made, that's the living water, isn't it? How many want that water? That really satisfies your heart. It, it, it immeasurably exceeded it. I love how Eugene Peterson puts it, and some of you are going to take issue because I'm quoting from the message, but it's okay, you'll get over it. He says, but sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. How many like that? Isn't that beautiful? The aggressive forgiveness that we call grace. Is that what this woman encountered at the well that day? Come meet a man who showed me all my sin. Not because she was excited about her sin. Because she was excited about the aggressive forgiveness that she encountered in the heart of this God that we have theologically labeled grace. What an incredible God. Amen? How many want to encounter God on that level, even if it means being a little uncomfortable this week? And that's the whole point. Romans 6.14, sin will have no mastery over you. It doesn't stand a chance, brothers and sisters. This kind of love, this kind of grace does not lead to loose living. Are you hearing me tonight? Some are still afraid of that. It's the only thing strong enough to win our hearts from our self-destructive, self-centered pursuits to live for something greater than ourselves, isn't it? You can't. But if you'll let him, he'll outlove your sin. Because you are not under law, but under what? Brothers and sisters, we know about the law. Are you with me? We have perfected that. I was doing a series of youth meetings at the Iowa-Missouri camp meeting two weeks ago, a week and a half ago now. I was there. There was about 80 kids there on a first night. They said they never had 80 kids there before. They had The most they'd had up until that point was like 30. There are 80 kids packed into this little room. And they asked if I'd go speak to them. So I went over there and... We were going to talk about the cross. I asked him, I said, how, how many hours was it? And I've done this with you guys here before too. Some of you will remember it. Well, I asked these young people, I said, how many hours was Jesus on the cross? And they went, just like that. I said, well, how many commandments are there? They said, oh, there's ten. And I sit there and I have to ask inside my heart, why do our young people know? Immediately how many commandments there are, but they are grossly ignorant of even the simplest details of the story of the cross. Which part of the Bible have we focused on the most? People, talk to me. The law, the law, the law. Dare I quote her? Till we have become as dry as the... And some things haven't really changed that much since she was around. 
what gives us. Do you wonder why we still wrestle with some of the things we wrestle with? And I I know this is harsh, but please understand where I'm coming from in my heart. Do we really wonder why God hasn't come back yet? I mean, even Paul realized that what enables sin to no longer have the mastery over us is not an over-infatuated focus on the law, but that we would come to understand His grace. Could it be that the reason we're struggling so much as a church, the reason we have an entire generation missing, I'm not making that up. I graduated with guess how many? Guess how many people I graduated with? My graduating class. Any guesses? Not one, no. 150. That's a pretty good-sized graduating class, isn't it? Adventist Academy, graduating senior year, summer or school year of graduating class of, that's the term, class of 93, I think it was. Some of you are like, man, you're young. No, I just went to a graduation Mount Vernon, class of 2010. I spoke at their graduation. Can you believe people are still graduating? Man. 2010. 150 fellow peers. Brothers and sisters, the sad reality. Do you know how many of my friends are still in the church today out of that 150? You want to take a guess? Not one. That would just be me. I'm not exaggerating. This is truth. Four. Yeah, they may be. We have a whole generation missing, people. A whole generation missing. There's the old guys. Then there's you. And then there's these young squirts over there in the meeting. There's a huge gap between those two. Have you noticed that? Now, I'm not saying you're old. You're wise. <laughs> but not old. But there, are, there, there is a whole section that we scratch our heads and wonder where'd they go. We are not doing well as a people. Are you hearing me tonight? But the problem is not because we've not understood the law or the red books. Are you hearing me? The reason sin is still mastering many of our lives is because we have yet to encounter truly what that much more abounding grace really is. Jesus, when he came to Nazareth, he said where he'd been brought up, as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read. And, and the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. I love this. It was just handed to him. Totally spur of the moment here. He opened the book and found the place where it was written. I don't think he planned to do this, but God was just speaking to him. Read this part. And this is what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. And recovery of sight to the blind. To set free those who are oppressed. To proclaim the favorable year 
of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And all the, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What Jesus was doing with the woman at the well was proclaiming the favor of the Lord, was he not? And what was it doing but giving her the recovery of her sight? She was seeing God for who he really was. It was liberating and setting her free at the same time. And she got excited over a man who simply talked to her about her marital past. We should chew on that for a while, shouldn't we? See if there's any truth in that. I would love uh, to be a people who could point out other people's faults. And they'd join us because of that. Wouldn't that be cool? I mean, we do that now, but they don't join us because of it. It is a strange evangelism. Or else have Jesus in your heart. And that's the key. We're going to have to be a people, and this is so hard for us, that are willing to become vulnerable with each other. Isn't that true? To become vulnerable with each other. Because, but you know that'll only happen when we're willing to be vulnerable with God. Because only until we're vulnerable with Him and we encounter His unchangeable love will that water spring up inside of us for others. And once it springs up inside of us for others, I think we're going to see a lot more transparency, a lot more vulnerability among us as a people. And it won't be just us sitting around licking each other's wounds. It won't be that. It won't be codependent. <laughs> It'll be something very beautiful, something very healthy, where not only are we free to be ourselves among each other, but other people feel free to be themselves around us too. And I think when that day comes, our numbers will grow by leaps and bounds. Will they not? And people say, well, Herb, does that mean you're lowering the standard? No. No. Because every time people encountered this kind of love with Jesus, did it change their life? But it changed it from the inside out. Are we willing to be patient enough to let people be changed from the inside out? Not have to clean them all up on the outside first. I know those are hard things. But that's where we're at as a people today, amen? Those blasted Samaritans, I tell you. Maybe we could even learn something from them. Amen? Most of all, Jesus. Let's pray tonight. Are you glad you came to camp meeting this year? God has something for you this week. What He has for every one of you is that living water. But once again... He may have to bring some stuff up first for you to encounter it. How many tonight are willing to give him permission to do that? I'm not going to do that. I'm not talented enough yet. I don't love you enough yet is what I'm saying. But he does. There's some stuff he wants to work through with you this week. And he's glad you're here more than you're glad you're here. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, thank you so much tonight for your goodness and your love. Lord, I'm just overwhelmed at how you work. It is so opposite to how we are. 
We're so afraid of your kind of love. Father, give us the courage not just to see it, but to really believe it. That you're not too good to be true. Lord, I know that you have something special in store for every one of us this week, and I don't know in which moment it's going to come. But Father, we're not here by accident. You've brought us together for one purpose and one purpose only. That this week we might more deeply encounter the love that beats in your heart for every one of us. Bless us, Father, to that end for your sake. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks for coming to camp meeting. Thanks for hanging out in adults too. Tomorrow morning, what do we time do we start, Gary? 9.15 is Sabbath school. Is that right? I don't have a schedule, so I don't know. Somebody kill that thing. We start at 9.15, show up. Stuff will happen all morning. I don't know at which point it will, but it'll all be happening. And then uh, tomorrow evening at 6.30, music again. Please don't miss tomorrow night. Tomorrow night's topic does not have a title, but it is the most important presentation of the entire week. Not that you won't get anything from the rest of the week, but tomorrow night's is the most important. It will make or break the entire week for the, for the string of thoughts we're going to be putting together in the evenings. God, that's just because you said you weren't going to be here Tuesday. God, God bless you. Thank you for coming tonight. Enjoy your Sabbath. Remember to eat the fat, drink the sweet, and we'll see you tomorrow.